Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. You know each one of us, you know exactly where we are, you know what we faced last year, we, you know what we're going to face this year. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning, uh, not just a corporate word, but I pray for an individual word that as um, these words escape my mouth into this atmosphere that you do something with them, that uh, they're personal, that each person sitting here hears you encourage them, hears you lift them up. I pray for... uh, a sense of closeness with you this morning. Amen. Amen. So as I was preparing this message, um, I did I did feel that um, I was a little confused. It took me a lot to get kind of my head around what what I was kind of kind of say. I kind of had some thoughts about it, but it wasn't kind of stringing together. But then, as I, I as I woke up this morning, I realised that. It, um, that is kind of a message that I feel is prophetic and that it's going to encourage individuals here today around their year. So, let's get into it. So the message name this morning is 494,736. Well, well, it's actually on the board. It's it's four hundred and ninety four thousand seven hundred thirty, but it's actually four hundred ninety four seven hundred thirty six because it's oh now it's five uh, four thousand four hundred ninety four thousand seven hundred thirty five. That's that's the message. But because it's ten thirty five at the moment, and so we've got it's no it's ten. 25, so that means that we've got 494,735 minutes this year. Okay. It's not quite, it's, yeah, still, still 35. But in a minute, it's the title of my sermon's going to be 494,734. I'm just waiting for it to. It's, you know. So, so what what I'm wanting to talk about is, this is how many minutes you've got this year. How are you going to spend them? Well, this is my first sermon that I've got to preach this year. It's still January, and so a lot of people they start to think in January around their year. What are we going to do? Does anyone here make a New Year's resolution? Nah. Some of you might have thought, yeah, look, uh, this year I, I want to lose weight. Or, or maybe I, I want to learn an instrument. I want to I kind of do something different. I want to get more sleep. Whose was that? 
Any parents in the house? Yeah. 2023, I want to get more sleep. And so, um, and so we quite often think around our goals and our plans. Um, but I was challenged as I was preparing this message to, to encourage you all. What is God's purpose for you this year? Do you, th- do you think he has a purpose for you? Is there a purpose for every single one of those minutes? What is it that he wants you to do? This year, this next minute, and the next minute. Now we're up to 494,733 with this next bit of time. So I thought, well, well, what are you going to do? Why are you here? What's your purpose for this year? And I know that a lot of people try to think around, well, why am I here? What is, what is going on? But I think it's a question that can really only be asked uh, of, of God. Uh, many people go through asking, people asking, why am I here? But the Bible tells us why. The thing we can't answer that question, we can't answer that question by looking at ourselves but only by looking to God. So I thought, well, let's have a look at what the Bible says about how we should spend our time. It's a good idea, right? You guys are okay with that? I feel like like that's what you're here for. What does the Bible say about how I should spend all these minutes this year? So I decided I'm going to look at um, Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26. So those two, those two chapters. So Matthew 25 starts uh, uh, with Jesus ter- telling a parable. And then a second parable and a third parable. And they kind of dovetail together. So the first parable that, Matthew, that Jesus tells in Matthew is the, the story of the bridesmaids with the lambs. Okay, So there's ten bridesmaids. They're all waiting for the same groom. Don't quite know how that works, but this is the parable, right? And they've got lamps, and they have to go out into the night, and they're supposed to wait for him. And ten of them bring the lamps and extra oil, and ten of them just bring the lamp. They don't bring the extra oil, and so they're waiting there because they didn't really know how long he was going to be. And so they go out into the night, they're waiting for him to arrive, and... For half of them, the oil runs out. I have to go back. But when they're going back, he comes. And they miss out on the party. They miss out on the party. The second story that Jesus tells is the story of the talents. Now, a talent is about a year's wage. No, a talent is about 20, 20 years work. A talent is 20 years work. So based on current average wages, it's like one and a half million dollars. Okay. So the story goes that there is a there's a king 
or, or a rich man, and he goes off to, he's, he's going to go to another kingdom, and so he gets his three servants together, and he gives them talents. One, he gives five, one, he gives two, and one, he gives one. And he says, I entrust this to you. I want you to, to spend it wisely, and when I come back, I'm going to see how it all went. He goes away, he comes back, and the one with five used the resource well and had made another five. The one with two used it wisely and, and had another two. But the one with one buried it in the ground and gave it back to him. And the king was very disappointed. He was upset at that servant and he said he was going to be punished. And then the last parable is, is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this parable says that when Jesus comes into glory, he's going to sit on a throne and all the nations of the world are going to be brought to his feet. And that Jesus is going to separate them the way a shepherd would separate, separate, separate sheep from goats. The other week, um, me and, and Matthew Long were at our place and Craig, and we, um, we got a call. Matthew Long got a call from the business manager. I don't know why the business manager is in charge of the goats, but the high school goats had escaped. And so they decided that they would ring someone with a lot of experience with goats, <laughs> the IT manager. <laughs> why? Why? You're just the only one that answered the phone. Is that? Yeah. He's, Matthew's an amazing guy. He's a great guy of integrity. And when the manager rang him on the weekend, instead of him pretending that he didn't see it, like possibly other, I don't know. Just Look, maybe, I don't know. I just don't think he would have been first on the list. That's, that's what I'm saying. And so, and so he, he rings and Matt, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, we'll, we'll go and we'll find the goats. And so I said, yeah, we'll go and, and Craig went and this silly goat had got out of the enclosure because goats are wild. They don't follow the rules. And the next door neighbour was looking this goat up and down and like if we hadn't come when we did, I think he was going to put it in the fridge, you know, because he was like, oh, that goat, you know, I love goat. And so anyway, we, we went in there and the goat ran away and then, it, then Craig had it by the horns. But then, it, yeah. so anyway, we went in to wrangle this thing. We finally got it in the pen and then the police came because we thought we were, I don't know what they thought we were doing to the goat, but it probably wasn't great. <laughs> and so anyway, we explained that it's all fine, that Matthew's the IT manager. He looked confused. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, what, what shepherds do is, is they... They organise sheep and goats because goats are unruly. And the Bible says that the king put the goats on the left and the sheep on the right. And he says to the sheep, come, enter in to all I have been preparing for you. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was, I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in hospital and you visited me. And the people... Confused by that, they, they said, Jesus, when did we see you hungry, thirsty? And he says this, this great line. He says, what you did to the least of these, you did for me. 
and he ushers them in. But then he turns to the goats and he said, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in hospital and you didn't visit me. You guys, you go to another place. It's a place of punishment. It's a place of fire. So that's Matthew 25. These three, these three stories that Jesus tells to, to illustrate the kingdom. To illustrate the way that he wants us as humans to live. And it's quite confusing and they all have their intricacies. But I think if we were going to sum up the, the thread that runs between them, I think that we could say that, that it matters how we spend our time. So that's my first point. It matters how we spend our time. That we're going to be held accountable. I, th- I don't think that's a, a long bow to draw from that. I think it's pretty clear that, that we're going to be held responsible for how we spend our time. That, that, that God wants us to be thoughtful in keeping watch uh, for the Saviour. Keeping our eye on what God's doing. To be prepared to, to keep something in reserve, to not use all our oil. It seems obvious that he wants us to, to recognise that we've been given resources and be wise in how we spend them, to be careful with the way that we use what he's entrusted us to and that he expects us to make something of it. And it seems that he that he wants us to care for the poor, that he wants us to look to those that are hungry, to thirsty, that he doesn't want us to live in a way that we can't be generous, that he wants us to consider those that have nothing. And that sounds great. It makes sense, right? I mean, it sounds kind of tough, but I think it makes sense. There's only one problem with Matthew 25. And that's that it's followed by Matthew 26. See, Matthew 26, see, Matthew 25 explains that that Jesus was teaching them in the context of Simon the leper's house. And in the midst of kind of this story, or one moment later or maybe a few hours later, someone bustles in the middle of this, this situation, a woman. And she kind of comes into the middle of this dinner. She takes a jar, an alabaster jar, of expensive perfume suggested in the text that it possibly worth a year's wages and she breaks it open she pours it all over Jesus head and at that the disciples object now In the past, when I was 
reading this text, I, I kind of it didn't make a lot of sense why they objected so much, because you know they basically said, um, Jesus, that could have been spent on the poor. That's a that's a year's wages, Jesus. Why are you? Letting her do this, like this is a pretty bad, like this is ridiculous. But now I understand that Jesus had just stopped talking about using your resources wisely for the poor. Like he, he literally your oil. I want you to, to use your resources wisely. I want you to think of the poor. And this woman bursts into the middle of the scene and does exactly the opposite, and he's fine with it. In fact, he celebrates her. Why? Like, why was he so cool with it? Like, seriously, was it really necessary? Like, was it really necessary to pour the whole bottle? Like, if you go down the back for prayer, sometimes we anoint people with oil. But we don't go into the kitchen and get a, a whole bottle of olive oil and like, you know, I can't just get another one, you know. That's only worth a few bucks, you know. Well, let's just, you know. Like, I've never seen, like, George, maybe we should, what do you think? Just more. You know, because it's not necessary. Like, it's, it's not the, the oil is not the point, right? It's, it's, a, it's a sign. It's a, it's a token. It's, it's something that we recognize isn't powerful in itself, but it's, but it's representative of the Holy Spirit. So we, so we just put a bit on our thumb and we just touch the person's head as we pray because it's, right, you know what I'm saying. It's like with communion. When we have communion, we, we don't kind of get everyone to sit down and then there's a cart comes from Penfield. It's $5,000 here. Like, just too... No, look, get the good stuff. You know, we need to spend a year's wages on this. And, and you know, one of them big crusty loaves from Baker's Delight or something and a, and a wheel of French cheese. It's, it's not necessary. It's not necessary because it's a heart thing, right? It's... It's representative of Christ's blood on the cross and his broken body. And as we hold it in our hands, it doesn't matter if it's worth a year's wages or not. We claim, we claim in faith what Christ did for us. And as we consume it, we recognize that he's washed our sins away. And we receive it in faith. But this lady didn't seem to get the memo. She just pours it all out. So my first point is, 
It matters how you spend your time. Matthew 25, it matters. Your minutes matter. The, the, the parable shows it matters that we're to be careful how we use our life and our resources. Whoop. I didn't get much sleep last night. <sighs> All right, point two. Point two. It, uh, this is, point two says it doesn't matter how you spend your time. Is that right? Well, I was that pretty late last night. Point, point one is it matters how you spend your time. And point two is it doesn't matter how you spend your time. If, oh, if it's for Jesus. So point one is it, it, it matters how you spend your time. And God wants us to be wise with it. But it seems when we look at this story with, with this crazy lady who just got way too carried away and just poured it all out when it wasn't necessary, it seems that's actually okay. It seems... Look, I think these parables in, in Matthew 25 are there for a reason. I think they're there for a reason and they point us in a direction around how we're meant to live. But it seems that if you get a bit carried away and you love Jesus a bit too much and you worship him in a, a bit too hard, it seems he's okay with that. It's weird, right? It seems he's okay with that. It seems okay with... With us pushing ourselves to the limit and having almost nothing to show for it, it's almost like he sees the heart. And I didn't understand this as I was preparing this message, and you might say, well, why is he getting emotional over that? That's a bit weird. Okay, yeah, I'm very tired. <laughs> but I'm getting emotional because I feel like there's people in this room that were looking to this year and they feel like they've got nothing left. And they're like, how am I going to serve God? How am I? God, I wanted so much to be a witness I wanted so much to be a, a, a Matthew 25 Christian and kind of be wise and get things together and, and live in a way that caused people to see your glory. But everything this year is just looking a bit like a mess. And I didn't know that that's what this message was about when I was preparing it. But as I woke up, I could kind of see that it's an encouragement message. That everything doesn't always have to be neat and be in boxes. That sometimes loving Jesus gets a bit messy. And sometimes we get a bit carried away. 
and he's okay with that. Does that make sense? In fact, he's more than okay with it. It makes him very pleased. It makes him happy when we get a bit carried away. So if people this, this morning decide to give Jesus their year, I think he'd appreciate it. Right? If you decide to give him your next 494,700... Oh, I don't, I'm not that good at maths now. 47 a.m., 3... 4,713 minutes. If you decide to give him those minutes... You know, he's, gonna, he, he's more than okay with that. He smiles at that. So I've done my first part. I've done my second section of this sermon. And, and now to f- finish off with my last part, I want to kind of look at things from a slightly different angle. And this is from John 9, 1 to 5. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. A rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or because of his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. I think that's all I've got, yep. So the power of God could be seen in him. So we know the rest of the story. And as as Jesus uh, was looking at this scene, the disciples asked the question, and and Jesus says, uh, you watch this, guys. He spits in the ground. Shocking, I know. He makes some mud. He puts it on his eyes and then tells him to to wash and he's healed. He's healed. And on a Sabbath, all the worse or the better or I don't know... He's healed. That's the point. He's, this, this guy's healed. And um, I want to bring a couple of thoughts out of this. After he met... Sorry, I'll rewind it. If you... Talk to this blind man the day before, and you'd said to him, "Like, who are you? Like, what, what, what do you think God has for your life? What, what's your, what's your purpose?" Maybe, 
Maybe he'd tell you his name. Maybe, maybe he'd say, well, I was born blind. That's what God has for me. Maybe he'd identify in what he did. Maybe he'd identify in his, his begging. Maybe he'd say, well, I'm the best beggar in this stretch. And that's, that's who I am. That's what I do. So we might identify in his limitations. He might identify in, in what he puts his hands to do for work. If you'd asked him after he was healed, uh, who are you? He, he might say, well, I'm the one that was healed. He might identify in his healing. He, he might say, I'm the, I'm the one that could see. But Jesus didn't identify him like that. Jesus didn't say to the disciples that his purpose was to be blind, that that was God's plan for him or his role. He didn't say it was his purpose to be healed. Right? Remember the text. He said his purpose was so the power of God could be seen in him. His purpose was that people could see God in him. Could see God so people could see God's glory. So Jesus said that to this man. And I know he was specifically saying to that, that blind man, he was saying that. But I think he could say that to each of his children. That your purpose is not in how you were born. It's not in what you put your hand to. It's not even in, in what God might do in your life, but it's to give him glory. So my first point is it matters how you spend your time. My second point is it doesn't matter how you spend your time. My point three is God has a job for you to do, but it's not your purpose. This is a little confusing, so just kind of, Hang in there with it because hopefully it will make more sense. Sometimes I, I read verses in the Bible about how some people, uh, God has given them a gift of teaching. Some it's hospitality, some it's preaching, some it's prophetic gifting. And... We think that's our purpose, but that's not our purpose. Maybe it's how we operate. Maybe it's what we put our hand to. Maybe it's what we bring to the table in the church. But it's, it's not our purpose. We all have the same purpose. 
And it doesn't change no matter what the season. If it's a season of plenty or a season of lack, if it's of singleness or in a relationship, if it's of feeling great and feeling not so great, our purpose doesn't change. It's to give God glory. And I just think that's, I just think that just takes all the weight off. You know, many people go through life thinking, why am I here? And it can be very confusing. But Jesus didn't call himself the sacrifice. He called himself the Son. His whole purpose, well, the whole reason he came, his work, the thing that he had to do was to be a sacrifice. That was his work. That was his responsibility. That was his calling. But he never called himself that. He called himself the Son. And sometimes this year, maybe we could be tempted to think our purpose is in our calling. But our purpose is in Him. It's a bit confusing, but I think it matters. Because it takes the weight off. It's what the it's what the the woman with the perfume got. I mean, she gave it all. What's she going to do f- from from there? She just she literally bankrupted herself. But she understood that it it wasn't in what she did; it was in Christ. And it was really possible to give Him glory from one moment to the next, whether she had the oil or whether she didn't. Because if it was in, if her ability to to give glory to Christ was in her being able to give the oil, well, that was gone. Do you know what I mean? So when we look at our ability to give God glory based on our resources, we can get stuck. But it's not about that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. James 1.9 says believers who are poor have something to boast about for God has honored them and those that are rich should boast that God has humbled them that they will fade away like flowers in the field so the word boast means glory it means to give God glory So what James is is trying to guide us in here is he's saying, if you're rich, if you're doing well, if you're having a, a good year, give God glory in your humiliation. In a sense, 
recognizing that we're just dust. God, I give you glory that you love me, even though I've uh, things are going great. You've blessed me. I, I struggle, and I failed in this area, and I failed in that area, and. God, thank you that I can give you the glory in what you're doing in my life. He said, focus on your humiliation, the things you're getting wrong, your mistakes, your weaknesses. But then James says that if you're having a bad year, if you're doing it tough, he says, boast in your position in heaven. That the things that surround you are not how it really is. That you are seated on your own, that He's prepared a place, that He's lifted you up in faith. That what surrounds you isn't what is real. It, like the rich man, is temporary. That there's something else going on, and that you are blessed. So you see how understanding God's glory, it just takes the weight off. It takes the weight off every season. And my last um, paragraph is this. I'm going to finish with this. John 17, 1 to 5 says, After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come for you to glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all you have given him. Now this eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. There's a lot of glories in that. But what that clearly shows is that there, that there is glory in what we put our hand to for the Lord. He says, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So it matters. That's Matthew 25. It matters what we do and it gives God glory the way we work for Him and it counts. But the other thing this verse says is uh, it doesn't count because it says glorify me in your presence with glory that I had with you before the world began. 
right? So he says, I, I'm giving you glory. That there's this glory exchange when I do the things that are set out for me to do. But then he says, but I actually already kind of had glory before the world began because I was with you. So my fourth point and my last point is, is that glory is relational. It's relational. That God pours out glory on us through Christ through a relationship, through knowing Him. It, it, it comes through knowing and, and by doing, but mostly by knowing. It's this, it's this tension that we give God glory by doing stuff for Him, but we also just give glory to God by knowing Him. Would you like to stand? Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that you would help us understand the tension between the Matthew 25 principles of spending our time wisely this year for the Lord and the tension of Matthew 26 us knowing Him. Father, thank You that it's so much more than us just fulfilling a job for You. So much more than us just having to do things right to give You glory that somehow there's this mystery that in our Recklessness in our keeping our eyes on you, we somehow fulfill our purpose. So, Father, I pray for each person this year. I pray for the 470, 494,700 and whatever minutes left this year. Father, guide us and lead us, knit us together. God, pour out your glory on us like Christ promised that we might give it back to You through us keeping our eyes on You, through our love for You, through our understanding of what You've done for us through the cross. But it also help us to be wise and live in a way that brings You glory, whether we're blind or healed, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're, we're wise or foolish. Father, our desire this year is to give You glory. Father, take us by the hand and lead us. Lift us up, Father, for, for those of us that are feeling disjointed, broken down. Father, I pray that You would lift our spirits, that we would see that every time we pour out something for You, it's never wasted, even in our exuberance. So, Father, I pray You'd bless us this year. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks, team. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.